Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Go Big Redcast, fellas. Producer Skip here. I want to congratulate you on your 150th episode. Pretty unbelievable from four little dudes from Nebraska. To think I pitched this idea to Dave in a bar in Shanghai, China of all places. That is an odd but true story. Uh, To see what you've become, uh, I'm so proud of you like a father watching his children grow up to be C students. I remember back in the days when Boomer sounded like he was talking into a tin can. Anyway, I put a lot of these shows together back in the early years. Uh, But I did sign on to be the producer, mostly because that's where the real money is at. If you know anything about syndication, once you get to 100 episodes, you are good to go for syndication. So now that we're at 150... I'm looking at screw you type of money. You see, I had brokered these deals with... Excuse me, sir. You're my type. Oh, hold on a second, fellas. I'm sorry, is this the biggest one they have? Yes, this is our 24-ounce my type. Couldn't get it in, like, that bucket size uh, over there? Um, sir, that's the machine. Oh, Oh, all right. I'm also sorry to inform you we're out of caviar. Oh, you're breaking my heart, doll. Uh, I'll just do the surf and turf instead. Great choice. Anyway, that's why I've been down here in Fiji renting a bungalow for a while, trying to wait out this COVID storm until the Big Ten football season starts again. Which reminds me, Boomer, for whichever one of you keeps track of the finances, I don't really pay attention. Um, When you see these charges on the P-card, now you know where they're coming from, so... Hey, Big Shot producer, can you help us with the sunscreen? Well, that's my cue to leave, boys. Can't wait for show number 200, because I've been promised a movie deal. If, uh, if we get that far, so, uh, don't mess it up for me, guys. Okay. You take care now. Oh, what's that? No, no, Mac isn't that funny in real life. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. I am so proud of the entire Redcast. We have made huge strides this offseason, improving our attention to detail and technique, I knew we always had the physical talent, but now we're putting it all together mentally, too. Well said, Coach. Also, Boomer. Well, I would just like to thank the uh, voters and the AP and coaches poll that even in these uncertain times, you guys have stepped up and shown that you can remain consistent and have absolutely no idea what you're voting on with the teams you put in the top 25 every week. (laughs) Thanks again, gentlemen. I got BYU number one on my poll, Boomer. Well, Texas and, and Texas A&M are both still highly ranked. Yes, somehow. So, well, <laughs> yeah. at least Oklahoma fell off. I mean, apparently it takes two losses. And, and they're still receiving votes in both polls, Dave. So, 
And I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? You know, on the way down to Hong's place tonight, I, I heard a story about Frank Gore. And then I thought, Frank Gore, my gosh, he's still playing. I remember when he was in college and he blew out both knees and he was never going to play again. He's still playing in the NFL. Hello, Ronald Tompkins. I'm so excited, dude. I've, I've, he's, he's his spirit animal. You know, you Mac, 15 years. I believe uh, Frank Gore Jr. is a freshman running back at Southern Miss. That seems unreasonable, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're getting old, you know. As is the the red cast, uh, you know, Boomer. It's a little known that in podcasting, the podcasting world, you have to have a certain amount of shows before you can uh, have a spinoff. And uh, that is show 150, which is where we're at today, right, Honk? The Redcast has now done 150 shows. Yeah, it's only 148 more than we thought we'd do when we started this thing. <laughs> well, I'm very proud of, of the fact that we made that far. And uh, Honky, you've been on 149 of, of the 150, right? Yeah, I've only missed the one. And the other thing I am going to miss is that uh, spinoff. We'll probably just continue to tease it for another week, but the BetCast, is that what we're calling it, Dave? You could say that's a teaser. Uh, maybe Ooh. maybe we could parlay that into another show. I don't oh. know. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, Joni Loves Honky didn't test well with the, with the trial <laughs> audiences, so we opted for that for the spinoff name. I'm, I'm going to take the under on that name right there. Nice. Uh, I do look forward to the BetCast. We'll launch that here in... in Shortly, producer Skip is working up his magic right now. Redcast Rob will probably be on there for a bit. Me and Boomer will join um, most often. Um, I wouldn't take our advice too seriously, but hey, you know, as um, legal sports betting is expanding across the the U.S. and across the Missouri River, um, might as well get in on the action, right? Yeah, and the good news for Redcasters is that Honky and Mac will not have any part of it. So, you know, you're going to get nothing but the best advice. And I think that that should be, that should certainly be appreciated. Accurate. That's very true. All right. Well, uh, guys, let's uh, go around the world of college football. There's a lot of sports in general going on right now. I'm, I'm watching Monday Night Football, watching the Major League Division Series right now. There was Monday Night Football in earlier. The French Open's happening. St. Kilda could win the premiership for Boomer. I mean, everything's happening right now. But what we follow on this show is college football, and there was another good week uh, of uh, action there, especially on Saturday, obviously. Boomer, um, you know, we've got uh, an Oklahoma sitting at one and two, and the first time that they had two conference losses back-to-back since the John Blake era. Thoughts? Yeah, that's crazy when you think about it. It just, at no point in that entire, geez, when was last John Blake year? Was it 98 99? Yeah, I mean, that's insane when you think back as far as that's been, just how consistently, you know, good they've been able to rebound just over the years. You'd think at any point you would have just slipped up twice. You know, there's some decent teams in the Big 12, and, you know, Nebraska was still good towards the end there. Texas, you always had those rivalries. K-State seems to sneak up every now and then. It's just amazing how consistent they've been able to do that for such a long period of time. But watching these last, you know, couple weeks, they, you know, they've got issues. They can't seem to play a complete game. Uh, the defense is living up to the standards of, you know, classic Big 12 defense, which is terrible. And the offense just doesn't seem to be able to consistently put up points the way they've been. So this is probably going to be the first real test of the, you know, Riley's tenure there as a coach. What can he do? Can he get this whole thing turned around? And where is this going to go? So it'll be interesting to see. It's a lot of storylines in the Big 12. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, Honky, when's the last time uh, Nebraska's won back to 
to back conference games? <laughs> it's the opposite question, right? Boy, that's sad, Dave. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But you know, Mac, you know, thinking about OU there, you look at that secondary and small dudes. I mean, they mm. were greatly outsized by Iowa State's receivers and their tight ends. Brandon Radley Hiles guy, he's like five six apparently, right, Mac? Five six you know, in stature, but five stars in rivals' hearts. <laughs> and uh, he snubbed Nebraska to go to OU. I mean, well. he's struggled. That dude, I've watched They're two picking games on him. The, yeah. uh, the amount of times that that guy has gotten penalized. Or, Mac, you mentioned it last week. I think, you know, he was uh, the touchdown that... Uh, There's a key factor case. in two big plays that led to their loss. Which is funny, you know, because you would think that would make him stand out on an Oklahoma defense, but apparently in the Big Twelve, that just makes you more of an uh, all-conference kind of a candidate. So I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how it works. He chose right, I guess is what I want to say. He chose right. And Dave, the correct answer is 2018. Nebraska defeated Illinois and Michigan State in November, uh, oh. almost to end of the season. Yeah, they had uh, Iowa to finish out and lost by three, but uh, that was that really, really cold, frigid Michigan State game that ended nine to six. So oh, yeah, that was a fun game. It was a cold game, so I recall that. It's good that we went back-to-back in the Frost era. We have that going for us, then. Which is nice. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Well, Hunk, um, you know, uh, we did get to hear from some of the coaches in in Nebraska uh, last week. Um, Heard from Greg Austin, from our new offensive coordinator, um, Matt Lubick. I feel like I'm going to say Sonny Lubick eight times uh, every time this show, I swear to God. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts on what you heard from from some of the coaches there? You know, I think it was from Austin where what I really heard the most was how they've been buttering bread here for the last few months, how we're going to go and, and hang our hat on a few schemes and we're going to get really good at them. Those seem to be things, Mac, that we've talked about now for several years where it's It's not about how much you do. It's what you do well. Mm -hmm. And can we do something well? Iowa and Wisconsin don't go out and do a whole lot of things always. It's what they do. They do really well, and then they just keep doing it Mm -hmm. and pounding it at you until until the game's over, right? So hearing that from Austin, and we've said so many times that it's not lip service that he's the run game coordinator. This is not just a way to give a guy a raise. This is a position this guy is going to, I think, fundamentally help change our offense to be different than what it was the last two years, even what it was during the UCF years. I think there's going to be a physical edge, Dave. There's always going to be Oregon speed department. That's never going to go away. But the Husker power part has to start being introduced, and I think that's where we're looking at right now. You know, you've been on this Greg Austin run game coordinator train for a while, and I've never refuted it, um, but... I think hearing him speak and and hearing a few other of the Nebraska media talk about him, they're they're really high on Greg Austin. If you listen to the the local scribes, they really think he's a heck of a good coach. And what I I thought was interesting, what maybe clicked for me more about this kind of conversation about Greg Austin as a run game coordinator, is that he really seems to be there this year in that position to provide an opposing viewpoint maybe to what Frost has had in the last couple of years, where there wasn't someone saying, hey, wait a second, we need to go back and and stick with that play over and over again. It's not that Greg Austin probably didn't have that voice, but his voice has been amplified, it seems like, through this position. And that could make a difference on play calling in this season. What do you think? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the examples I can give would be like the Wisconsin game a year ago. I've said it so many times now, I'm a broken record, but... When you're getting 11 yards a carry out of Dedrick Mills and he's only getting 17 carries, 
that's an issue. I mean, when you look at a Jonathan Taylor on the opposing sideline, he's not getting 17 carries. He's getting 25 and 30. And that's the thing. Now, a year ago, in some defense, I guess we didn't have the depth at the position. We were redshirting Ramirez Johnson. We just didn't have the depth. But now we have the depth. You know, now it's about buttering the bread. You know, it, it's let's be good at something. If we get good at something, let's not go away from that mm-hmm. something just because we have it in the playbook to go away from. Sure. Mac, uh, you've probably seen every single Scott Frost UCF game and plenty of his Oregon um, games as well on YouTube. Um, has he utilized that kind of bread and butter play, whatever, maybe it wasn't even a running play, something that he would go back to over and over again, besides just a standard RPO, I suppose. Have you, do you feel like that's something that he's done before? That's a really good question, Dave. And watching those games, I, the thing that stood out to me the most was probably how multiple, how they would use the offense in different ways, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, duck are running backs themselves, and the quarterbacks as a running game. This is an offense that requires balance. And the way that they have gone about this offseason is we bring Lubick in, for an offensive pass game balance. And we use Austin, who's already here, to get that run game balance. And we meld mm-hmm. the two together. I, I don't know that there's a, a prototype for any particular position on this offense. Like this running, the running back position, for example, could be a six foot, 210 running back. Or it could be a 5'10, 190 running back if he's super fast. Or it yeah. could be a Wandell. And the same goes, you know, we talked about that, the Huskar position last week. You know, where it could be Hickman and then it could be Wandell. But there could also be a guy like a, a Ramirez Johnson who is that kind yeah. of mild of even those two. But he's super fast and so reliable in the pass game. So, you know, as, as far as the run game goes, it's an attitude. The offensive line is going to determine how much of a run game we have. Mm-hmm. I think the positions behind them will just be dictated on down a distance or a situation of the game. Well, and to your point there, whether it's the Huskar or it's who's in the running back spot or who's a receiver – or as we learned also from Greg Austin this last week on the O-line, everything is about being able to play multiple positions. My goodness, right now, if you're a left tackle, you might play right guard at some point. If you're the left guard, you might play right tackle. I mean, who knows? They are going to expect people. If you're a quarterback, you might be a wide receiver. <laughs> well, and in, this, in this particular year, that might be the case, right. Mac. And that is exactly where, you know, you manufacture depth, I guess, in that sense. You know, we don't necessarily go in there thinking that we have this many players on offense, but you know what? You actually do when when you can move guys around from here to there to there to there. Well, when you're and a tempo offense, uh, the ability for some of your personnel to mold into another mm-hmm. role just allows you to keep that tempo up and really put the defense in conflict. Which That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's the thing that isn't going to go away. This is the thing that will look consistent from Oregon to UCF to Nebraska is that tempo isn't going away. And tempo is about never allowing defenses to get a timeout and be able to switch personnel. And that's where if you can have your same 11 guys on offense and those 11 guys are literally switching positions from play to play. So it's Chris Hickman is your tight end. And then all of a sudden we get into the red zone. He becomes your duck R or your Huskar, as we call it. And then all of a sudden, Wandell goes from being that to being a second running back lined yep. up in the backfield next right. to Dedrick Mills, too. I mean, who knows? But we're never giving the defense a chance to take a breath, and we just keep running plays. And those plays are with the same personnel, but they're in different roles. Mm-hmm. That's what this offense can be. It hasn't always worked like that the last two years. I get it. Anyone that's skeptical about it, we have to prove it. We have to show it out there on the field. But I think that's what they're envisioning. And we're getting the right people in charge with what we talked about with Lubick and Austin. I think we have what Frost is wanting to see on offense. I think it's in place now. I'm excited to see it against Ohio State. 
Yeah, absolutely. That was actually you painted a really nice picture there, Honk. I'm like, I'm, I am excited to see the offense function at that level. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that roster uh, with our recruiting update, right, Honk? So one of the uh, advantages of having some of our early defectors from the 2020 class, like. Uh, Henry Gray and Jaden Francois is that we can recoup those positions, right? And so, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember, like six eight months ago, they were talking about the 2021 class being really small. Um, that has continued to grow, actually, to the point where we're probably going to sign 25 or more potentially, maybe leaving a little mm-hmm. room for for transfers, right? So we're expecting a full class now going forward, right? Yeah, with Gray and Francois leaving, that actually you get scholarships back to the point where the 25 limit we have actually could be mm-hmm. higher than that 26, 27. You're actually allowed to oversign even in this conference by three. So conceivably, I'm not saying we would do this, but conceivably we could sign anywhere up to almost 30. Again, I'm not saying we're going to go that route, but that's how much this has changed over the course of the last six months. We just offered here today, and it wasn't a big shock, but James Carney, the tight end, DN, outside linebacker, whatever kind of hybrid athlete from Norris, which is the seventh in-state yeah. kid Nebraska has offered. Four of them have come here. We've lost Avante Dickerson, and there's rumblings that he may be on his way back to Nebraska. We're not even going to get into that because we have no clue. Uh, we know that Cluster's kid's going to Iowa, and if we get Carney, and we think we will, that would be at least five in-state kids right there. Yeah, Not a big shock, but a big relief. Let's get this kid offered. You know, from my understanding of everything I've read online, he seems like a hard Husker lean. All it was going to take was an offer from, from us for yeah. him to come here. And by God, do it. Yeah. If that's the case, then offer him. It's that easy. You know, there's no there's no need. Of, like, we're going to need tight ends for a few years now. And it's such a weird year because eligibility is suspended. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like you talk about, we're going to take maybe possibly 30. It's going to be a weird year eligibility-wise. Well, you know, and, and Dave and Boomer, you guys are going to be on the BetCast. And you may occasionally talk about an NFL game. Well, think about the tight end spot and think about the NFL. Hawkinson at Detroit. Kittle at 49ers. Noah Fant, you know, Dave over there with you in Denver. I mean, that is a position that Iowa has killed at. I mean, they are tight end you right now. In the last couple of years, Nebraska has now brought Fedoni over from Council Bluffs. We kept Hickman here in Omaha instead of having him follow Fant out there. We've kept Rollins here now. And if we can keep Carney, Carney is a tight end guy that Iowa's gone after. We're doing something right. We're getting guys to come here instead of going to a place that has proven to send guys to the pros. What speaks to the attitude of the local recruiting by this coaching staff? You know, I I saw there was a mailbag question. Frost not locking down the local borders. I feel like he has. The fact that what you just said, Hickman... You know, possibly Carney, but Rawlings and Fedoni, a position that we have not traditionally produced pros at, he's gotten to come here based off of what they've seen in our program that they really like and they want to be a part of. That's a big, big, big component to our success going forward mm-hmm. is, is convincing guys that maybe don't see like the, the route to the NFL isn't as clear, but they still want to be a part of it. Like, that's the part that's got me excited about the staff, about this program, about the way we're going, is we are getting those guys. The, the borders have closed down to mm-hmm. to a great extent. Yeah. And, you know, Honk, the, the walk-ons are always important, and we added our first known walk-on to the 2021 class, Ashland Greenwood's Matthew Schuster. Yes, that is Brian Schuster, former Nebraska fullback from the mid-'90s uh, son, and so he has already joined um, the program 
or at least committed to the program. So we'll have that to look forward to as that walk-on class grows with the 2021 class. That's the formula, right? Let's let's get the best in-state kids and close that border like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Let's get the walk-on stuff going. Let's build the players up. Let's have a solid scheme and bread and butter and things that we know what to do. We do those things. That's Nebraska's formula. Now, Dave, we've had some other stuff that's happened in the last week, too, around the Big Ten. I mean, there's been some injuries and some guys coming back, but – uh, was it Wisconsin's QB uh, Cone? He he was injured there. Yeah, that's that's the big news. Jack Cone, who was someone that Riley, uh, while he was at Nebraska, went after pretty hard, and and I think uh, we ended up getting POB instead of uh, Jack Cone, if I remember right, Mac. Um, foot injury there at Wisconsin. Um, although I don't know if that's good or bad because his backup is a much more highly regarded recruit, Graham Mertz, who. Um, would be a sophomore this year, maybe a redshirt freshman, actually, probably. So we'll see if that impacts Wisconsin on the field. Jack Cohn was a solid, serviceable quarterback, um, mm-hmm. but Mertz could be that, too. So. Yeah, and we play them week two. So. Yep, that's right. Which kind of plays in our favor, you know, Mertz or Cohen. It's like, I'd rather have the guy who's starting his second game against our secondary. Yeah. Team. Nope, that's true. That's a guy true. who has beat us. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And um, also, we, we have seen a lot of these guys that declared for the NFL draft or said they were going to sit out um, when the season was in doubt, come back. Um, most of them in the Big Ten, not all. And one significant add uh, in the West has been uh, Rashad Bateman of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, he wasn't even in school, I believe, but somehow... I think the NCAA is just going to let everybody back in if they want, right? <laughs> and so, sure enough, not only Ronald, Rondell Moore at Purdue, but also another uh, highly touted wide receiver, uh, Bateman, back in the West. And, you know, the last thing I think we should touch on really quick, uh, Boomer, uh, this, you know, the COVID world is always evolving and is very fluid, right? And um, we have better understanding of how they're doing the antigen testing across the Big Ten. That's the daily testing that they've set up. And apparently they've capped it at 170 tests per day. That's the players as well as the staff. So obviously that could affect Nebraska a little bit in the sense that we have a really large walk-on contingent that we may not be able to participate fully in practice, right? Yeah, that's going to take a little uh, extra roster management for the for the programs in the Big Ten that have the larger rosters, like the Nebraskas, like the Michigans. I think they have like 140 right. some kids on their roster too, and they figure once you add the coaches and staff and you know all the trainers and all that, you're looking at probably another 50 people on top of that. There's going to be some things that you have to work out, but I suppose it, it sets kind of a baseline to make sure everybody in the conference is kind of on that same page. I think the idea behind it is to try to prevent people from manipulating things, just setting a, a standard baseline for everyone to work on. So sure. there's another challenge in, in the days of COVID. So, But uh, I think if there's an athletic department that should be able to manage it, I, I think we're one of them. We seem to be more than <laughs> capable of figuring these things out. That's right. I have full faith in uh, Scott Frost and the program on this one. It's time to throw the bones. All right, guys, let's throw the bones. It's our defensive preview, and uh, let's uh, hockey, Let's start with the defensive line, and we'll go on back, right? we got to start with the guys up front anyway. And uh, so let's uh, review the depth chart and um, see who's going to make an impact in that front three. Yeah, I think we look at the D-line, and it's easy on the surface to look at it and say, hey, we've lost three guys to the NFL, uh, Davis Twins, and we had Daniels gone that – 
you know, woe is us. But I think the reality is, I think we look at this and go, we probably have guys that more fit the mm. the mold of what we want than we've had before. Right. Between Jordan Riley, a 6'6", 325-pound guy, uh, Ty Robinson, who basically fits that bill. Mm-hmm. You do have Damian Daniels, and you have Ben Stilley, and you have DeAndre Thomas, guys that have some experience here. And then can a guy like you know Keen Green really excel? I mean, right there, I just named six dudes. Without going any further, I mean, that's too deep right there. How are you feeling? As I mentioned, those six guys, we're talking big dudes. They look like Big Ten kind mm-hmm. of D-linemen. From a depth standpoint, I mean, does that kind of start to get you excited D-line-wise? I like the on-paper look of our defensive line. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that goes all the way back to their recruiting rankings or mm-hmm. how you would grade these guys coming in. They they are uh, built to type, and this is what we've been told we wanted as a defensive line. So on on that side of things, I'm excited. Certainly, I've got some apprehension because of the inexperience, but this is college football, and that's every three years, right? I mean, so we've got to we've got to be able to trust these coaches that are that are recruiting to the defensive system that they have chosen to run to be getting the best guys they can. I'm like, you talk about a guy like Nash Hutchmacher. Like, this year is a perfect year for that guy. Mm-hmm. He comes in, and he's already going to be probably top 5 percentile of our squatters on this team. <laughs> yeah. You know, his dad is probably is the top squatter on our <laughs> team, team right, right now. now so yeah. this kid is not coming in needing to put on size. He's a wrestler. He knows how to yep. use his hands. He knows how to use leverage. Like, that's the kind of guy that, we, you know, going into the – pre-COVID times, like, well, maybe we get four games out of this guy. We don't have to worry about that. Yep. And we talked about this in the previous show. We don't have to worry about anything. It's time. You throw everything you got at these first four games are going to be horribly difficult, right? So let's give them all we got. So, no, the, the defensive mm-hmm. line to me, from a physical standpoint, from how they look on paper, I'm not as concerned as that. Maybe I should be based on the fact that, yes, we've had some guys gone on to the NFL, but... I was always told and led to believe that those guys were out of position in our defense. Good athletes, good football players, but maybe out of position. So what Mm. would would a guy who's in the right position, who's also recruited in a very good athlete, look like? So, Dave, to that point there, you know, I mentioned six guys. Mac threw the polar bear on top of that. I'll throw Casey Rogers and Tate Wilderman on top of it, too. I mean, there's nine dudes. That's three deep on a 3-4 kind of alignment. As Mac said... On paper, I don't have any issue, but what we don't have is we don't necessarily have the experience of, I've seen King Green make these plays. I haven't seen what Ty Robinson can do yet. I've seen videos of them in the weight room, and, and I'm extremely excited by it. And and I see what the, yeah. with the all the tape measuring and how tall they are and what the weights are. I mean, everything looks right. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember when King Green was a big-time recruit. I remember, <laughs> you know, I remember when he, he got hit that eligibility, how excited everybody was. And then all of a sudden, yeah, like, we don't care about this anymore. To that point, actually, uh, I was listening to uh, the Nick Ba podcast, which is uh, really good. He just started a new one up. He was doing a top 10 list with Bo Root, actually, like top 10, you know, most important Husker players for the upcoming season. But he took a little different approach. He was like... I'm ranking these off of, like, if this guy has a really good year, that probably means Nebraska had a really good year. Ooh. Right? Mm-hmm. So, of all those nine guys that Honky just rattled off those names, what's the one guy you're like, if this guy has a, a standout year on this D-line, that means we probably had a pretty good performance on the D-line this year? Um, If Daniels has a good year 
then Nebraska probably has a really good year because that would tell me that they developed this guy who was kind of a nose guy mm-hmm. to begin with, and we finally got his stamina up enough to to play enough plays to make a difference. If, if that guy comes out and contributes, that tells me a lot about this coaching staff. It tells me a lot about the defensive line mm-hmm. coach um, and Chenander in, in, in general. So that's, that's the guy. I think that's a great pick because, Dave, my pick would have been Stilly yeah. with that, which is, again, it's not the sexy pick. I think right away you want to say Ty Robinson. You want to say Keen Green. You want to say one of those four-star dudes that hasn't necessarily had a chance yet. But the reality is I want to see one of those guys that has been right. out there do something that they haven't done yet. I think Stilly is a very solid player. I just I said it a couple months ago. I don't think he's an all-conference guy. Prove me wrong, and I would love it. I would love him to prove me wrong here. And and Daniels is a great example mm-hmm. of that. I the guy hasn't been able to show to be able to play four or five plays in a row. But man, if he comes out and does it, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's great. That there's your progress. Yeah, that'd be a good sign for the season. Yep. No doubt about it. You know, you can't really talk about the D-line without talking about the linebackers at the same time. It's the front seven works in a 3-4 so much in sync with each other and really from a run-stopping perspective. So let's talk about those linebackers and start on the inside. What are you guys looking for here on, on production? Yeah, so, I mean, inside linebacker, it's kind of a little bit of a, if we go through the two deep, you have some experience coming back, but then you've got some young dudes right behind them. In-state young guys. So the experience is Will Hannes coming back because of an injury he had two years ago. We benefit by having him now. And I think that, you know, this is his best season. I, I'm He wasn't ready two years ago to play. And not that I ever want to see a guy get hurt, but I think we're going to benefit by having him this year as a senior. I think he's going to have a really good year inside. And then you have Colin Miller. But it's behind him mm-hmm. where you get those new guys, the, the four-star Nick Heinrich, the big recruit. But then you also have Reimers, mm-hmm. the walk-on guy, that these dudes are high on. Yeah, I mean, we're talking JUCO guys like right. you know Va coming in. He's well behind these guys. So they built some depth up in the, in that middle. And I mean, I think those are guys that they're kind of looking to me like Big Ten middle linebackers, Wisconsin kind of middle linebackers. Oh, yeah, well, Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember when Wisconsin really, really wanted Honus, you know, right, and like, right. and, and everybody thought that was a humongous recruiting game. And yet yep. he's, he's chopped liver, I guess, by the time he's ready to contribute fully being in the system for two years now. But yep. we're just going to, we're just going to brush that aside and move on to the next guy. Right. Because mm-hmm. as fans, that's what we do. But, but seriously, it, it's, it's funny to me how quickly we're ready to, to move on to the next guy and just omit all the experience and seasoning that a guy has gotten by actually playing the game of football in the Big Ten. Who is Will Honus? And like Colin Miller is another guy. Yeah. Like, you know, that you're right. The sexy pick is all the up and comers, but really what we need are our our veterans to come in and contribute right away. And I think that can happen. Yes. Like I don't think they're so so untalented that if these guys are our starters, that it's a doomsday scenario. I think it's a good scenario. So I, I want to actually continue that thought a little bit. I do want to ask Boomer to help me out on the uh, the stats and data, though. Could you uh, look up really quick uh, some run defense numbers for Nebraska, like how well we've ranked in the Big Ten over the last couple of years on run defense? Because I think that's a really big question this year with the front seven, is how well can we stop the run in the Big Ten? Uh, Mac, you're talking about the the experience we have coming back, right, with Colin Miller and Will Honus. We have a little bit of that on the outside as well with Caleb Tanner, with JoJo Doman. 
Um, and sometimes it is easier to get excited about guys you, you don't know or you haven't seen yet. And it's easy to get frustrated when someone like Will Honus comes in with a, a, a big name kind of. And then he had his moments, right? But it's not a consistent performance. He doesn't have the big splash. Caleb Tanner is one of those guys, again, big name coming in. He's had some moments, but on that outside, you got to see someone like that really step up this year to make this defense work, right? 100% right. You asked that question on the defensive line. That's that's my answer to that question for the outside linebackers. Tanner's got to be a guy that it all clicks for this year. He athletically, there's no doubt. You know, from a from a physical stat, stature standpoint, there is no doubt. This guy is a four star recruit. He's got the length, speed, athleticism. This is the kind of guy that we need to be able to unleash on the Big Ten and make a difference. You know, that pass rush that we've been so hungry for these last few years, that's a guy you need to be able to point to and and, and see him contribute. JoJo Doman, I love him so much, but he's he's like the uh, defensive version of a Duck R almost. He's kind of that blend, that hybrid position. Mm. And so he's a little bit out of it. Caleb was recruited for exactly what he's doing. And we this is the year we got to see it out of him. Well, and when we talked with Sipple back in early August, we specifically were talking mostly defense. Mm-hmm. And Sipple brought up with Caleb Tanner that you know he can run sideline to sideline. That's not going to be the issue. It was getting caught up in the weeds with right. the big 330-pound tackles. That was his biggest issue. And he that's what he has to prove. Mm-hmm. And when you are giving up 100 pounds to some guy, obviously you, know, you have to have different – techniques that you use to beat those guys if you're trying to go strength for strength if you're just going to bull rush a dude 100 pounds bigger than you you're probably not going to win that that's probably not going to be the strength of caleb tanner right. against that 330 pound guy but his strength might be speed it might be darting around the guy and that's a totally different technique than what blaze gunnerson mm-hmm. or nico cooper or even Payne now, the guy that's 270 pounds and just moved from a, a hand down on the ground 3-4 DN to the outside backer, those guys might do different things, right? right. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, like this position has to be done by this player that looks like this. One play we might have Caleb Tanner out there, and we might replace him the next play with Blaze Gunnerson, and they are going to mm-hmm. physically, size-wise, everything look totally different, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's about knowing what you can do. And I, this is where I think Mike Dawson, the outside yeah. linebacker coach, the guy that was just coaching outside linebackers in the pros last mm-hmm. year, I think that setting the edge, quote that and repeat that a hundred times, Dave. We're going to hear that a thousand times, right? But Absolutely. But it killed us so many times last year. If you can't set the edge, if you give up the outside, whether it's reverses or bootlegs, jet sweeps, if you can't set the edge... You're going to get killed in this yeah. league. Good luck against Wisconsin. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. And good luck against Iowa there. Now. Yeah, Dave, uh, it yeah. has some numbers for you there. Last year for Big Ten uh, defense rushing average, Nebraska was, uh, we'll just put it, they were, they were not good. Um, <laughs> per play, they averaged uh, about 4.9 yards allowed per rush. That put them at uh, 13th. But we were ahead of Rutgers, who was oh, just <laughs> slightly worse at five, about five yards a carry. But, yeah, 4.9 is not good. That puts you in the kind of same league with Maryland, Illinois, Purdue. Like Honky mentioned, you've got to be able to you know set that edge and contain that. I mean, you kind of think back to that Minnesota game. I mean, good grief. Didn't they basically ran all over us just kind of getting Yeah, the run fits were horrible there, right? They had three guys with double-digit carries. I think the worst average one of those rushers had was uh, – 
five and a half yards a carry. Two of them averaged over seven yards a carry. I mean, that that shows you what happens when you can't set the edge in this conference. And Dave, so much of that falls on our linebackers a year ago. Because it wasn't the line. The line would do its job, and then they, the, the linebackers wouldn't either set the edge or they wouldn't fill the gaps. Boomer, I have a question for you. We finished last year, what, 105th in red zone offense? And then you're saying we finished 13th out of 14th in rushing defense in the Big right. Ten? So yep. my question to you is, how the hell did we finish 5-7? and seven? I mean, that, that that's the makings of a 1-11 season. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that they that we uh, got some wins out of that. Thank God for Maryland and a, a few other teams like that. But uh, no, those those are not recipes for success in any conference, let alone the Big Ten. But uh, you know, we've talked yeah. about that this show and in the previous show. Those are the two things. If yeah. we're going to see a big turnaround in Nebraska, that's what you have to improve: that rushing defense and our red zone offense, our, our percentage. Yeah, if you have anybody who's a naysayer right now nationally or locally, I mean, you can look at those two stats and say, like, what do you see different this year? Why is it going to be different? You just lost three defensive linemen to the NFL. Mm-hmm. You're telling me you're going to have a better D-line this year? I mean, what what have you seen from your, your linebackers that are going to make a difference this year? So, Honky, how do you answer that? I think it's a great question, and I think this is a season that puts – Pressure, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean, it puts appropriate pressure on Shenander. Shenander has said that he wants certain types of body types for his defense. He's got it now. He has 6'6 D linemen. Those are things that all three of those guys are in the NFL right now. Davis Twins and Daniels, none of them met that. He has guys that now fit the size of the positions that he wants. Now, they are inexperienced. No one's arguing that. You got And they're not completely inexperienced. It's yeah. not like they're brand, brand new. They've been in this system. Some guys have been, yeah, yeah. Ben Stilley's a 6'5 yeah. you know, dude. And so we've got guys that have some length on them. That's the difference is that we can go through the whole roster and go three deep. We've got bodies and we've got guys that fit the size. Make it work. After we get done with this, we're, you guys are going to hear an interview we just did with the, the Husk guys where we talked exclusively offense. Because uh, Dave, with the Huskies, didn't want really anything to talk about with defense. He just wants to talk offense. He knows how good we're going to be on offense. But on defense, we recognize that we've made all these progress and everything. But at the same time, we don't want to say anything definite. We don't want to – we're not bullish. Nobody wants to jump on the train of like, we're going to be great on defense. And I guess my question is why? Why can't we feel – like we're going to be great. And I, I think one of the answers is because I've never heard it from the coaches. I've never heard the coaches say, we're going to be the top 10 defense. It's always been about, let's get the ball back to the offense. Thinking about those stats, we can't be much worse. Yes. Right? Than 4.9 yards a game. and Horrible. You know, whatever. Right? It's horrible, right? I mean, that's bad. And to your point, I, with the offense, the offense is better this year. If it's executing that side of the game plan better, that should actually allow the defense to be more aggressive and try to go for the turnovers, knowing that the offense is going to go back and score when they get the ball back, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it goes both ways, right? So I guess that way you can try to spin it. Well, and here's one way I guess you don't spin it, and it is we had a flash poll today on Twitter, and the question was, heading into year three under Coach Shenander, which position group do you think is most likely to produce a first-team all-Big Ten player? And we only had 13% said D-line, which was nose tackler, D-end. Only 16% said linebacker, which was inside or outside. 
So that front seven, seven of your 11 players, if you count all that up, only 29% of people think that a first-team player is going to come from one of those front seven. This Maybe this is the transition to the secondary, Dave, but 41% think it could be a cornerback and 28% think it could be a safety. So, you know, you name it and anything. We've, we've heard that Braxton Clark is out for the season, and that's, uh, you know, it's horrible to hear that. But we do have some guys that do have some experience coming back, you know, Cam Taylor-Britt, Boodle, Williams coming back, which is awesome. Dismute. Those are four dudes that have experience. You've got Joseph, the new Juco guy. I mean, this is – the secondary is an area, I think, of excitement. And then you have all those redshirt freshman guys, the Pola Gates and the Newsoms and Wrights and yep. Farmers. I mean, you know, there's a ton of players there too. Yeah, it's definitely our position of strength, you know, on the defense, right, is the back four. Mm-hmm. And not only strength, but depth, to hockey's point, right, Mac? I mean, you can go down the line here and see where you could potentially see some redshirt freshmen or even true freshmen contribute this year in certain ways, um, but have a really experienced um, starting four as well. I've, I've said this before, but Travis Fisher has done the best job, in my opinion, on the staff of recruiting to uh, the athletic prototype for his position. He gets long, he gets those six to 190 assassins in the secondary. And and that seems to be the, the kind of the mold that he's gone throughout of, of fielding safeties and corners. Uh, but that question's interesting about who's going to be the first, was it all conference? All, all, first team, all big 10 guy. Who do you all think? All big 10. And we're making the assumption that, that we have one. And but... Well, and, and we can make that assumption. I don't know that we have one this year, but if I look on our roster, two guys that jump to mind, and this is optimistic, but whatever. We're we're a Husker fan podcast, so <laughs> I think last Rob, time I checked, Mac, right? I think Robinson on the line, just because wow, I think all, I think God, he's awesome. got time. He's already got a name. All he has to do is put together a couple of good seasons before he's in the running. And I think Henrik, inside linebacker, I think that guy's a missile. I think he is an absolute ball-hawking, difference-making linebacker. And and the Big Ten does well with those kind of guys. You, you have picked two guys that – this goes back to the on paper. This is the defensive discussion that we're having tonight. On paper, I'm not arguing with anything you just said. You just picked two dudes that could have gone to about any – any school in the country. Mm-hmm. They're young, but screw being young. There's young guys all across the country making plays. And, and you know, so why why should we worry about them being young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was being safe. Especially in COVID times. <laughs> but if I was being safe, the safe bet would be picking Stilly, who has some years of experience and, and he has some name rec- recognition being built up. But I just, I said it on an earlier podcast several months ago, no knock on the guy. I, I, I love Ben Stilley. I'm glad we have him, right? I just don't see him getting the stats or whatever. You're Mr. Just, in-state. No one's going to argue. Oh, I love the in-state. I mean, and, and Ben's going to be a great player for us this year. I just don't see him being that first-team all-conference guy, right? So who is it going to be? And I'm trying to, like, figure out. I'm trying to move around. Well, if I have a guy, if I had a dark horse, I think it's Hannes. I think he is physically ready to do it now. Okay. This is a Big Ten inside linebacker. You saw some plays that he was making towards the end of last season. I think physically he's there. He's the guy. He's like a Luke Reimer with hype. <laughs> <laughs> Almost exactly what I was going to say, Mac. Exactly. Um, and, and, and by the way, Colin Miller too. I mean, Colin Miller caused a fumble in the the Iowa game. I mean, you know, 
what you want is you want guys that are playmakers. Hannes is a guy that I think he can be a playmaker, but he's also he's a guy that I think could pull down a lot of tackles. He could be a hundred plus tackle guy a year, and that's that's what I'm looking for. Again, the sexy picks we could get we could get a guy out of the secondary. I don't see an outside linebacker. That's what I'm seeing right now is I could see Hannes be that guy. I mean, maybe Cam Taylor if he. If he was returning punts or kicks or something like that, gets his name because he's got a bit of. But a, that would be a different kind of first team. It wouldn't be defense if he was returning punts. No, I'm just saying. But like, if he had that kind of career on top of maybe four top or five picks, picks. Then, then he's in the he's in the running. I'll throw a wild card out to you guys. What about Deontay Williams? That would be fantastic. I, I love Deontay Williams. I'm he's I'm scared of even talking about him. He's, he's like a, I, I just wanted to say a healthy right. He was totally, a missile there for totally, one quarter. Totally, totally, like he's like Charles Jackson. I I'm like just so scared of him. I playing. loved him so much in 2018. The the way he played hard at the end of the Michigan game when we were way yeah. down and he catches an interception. The dude was I loved it. And then he came out last year and I remember watching him the first few plays before he got injured. And I mean, look, what a horrible injury and everything. Yeah. But he was almost like a he was how playing do I say almost this? too hard. How do I say this? Exactly. Like, almost a dead. Dial it back a little bit, yeah. But now that he's had that year, you're right. With that added year of experience, that kid could be he has all the talent. He has everything in front of him. And it would be a fantastic story. And there's nobody we would root more for than Williams to go out there and have it happen here in his senior year. If everybody was playing as hard as Deontay was in yes. the first quarter, we'd be a heck of a lot better off. We'd I would agree. take 11 Deontay Williams every yeah. year. Let me ask you one last question to close this off, guys. Great discussion. Uh, secondary does seem to be our strength, right? What would be the one thing that's a concern for you from that secondary? Is there one thing that stands out where you're just you get you got a nagging feeling that you're concerned about it? Well, I'll tell you what, Dave. It actually leads into a question that, that we got from Kel, the coach, on Twitter. It was to break into the top ten all time in interceptions at Nebraska. Players have to have ten picks, and he goes right now. Cam Taylor Britt enters his junior season with three total, three interceptions total. Do you think that he makes it onto the leaderboard? of top 10 by the time he leaves, which means, you know, he has to have seven more. Well, to your question, Dave, my issue is that are we getting the turnovers? Are we getting the picks? Are we getting the ball back to the offense? Because isn't that the whole point? Mm -hmm. It gets talked about. We're not going to be a top 10 defense. We're just going to be good enough to get the ball back to the offense. And I don't see enough turnovers yet. That's If we get the turnovers, I don't care who it is. Somebody yeah. has to get the ball back to the offense. If Williams plays the whole season, mm-hmm. he will be the interception leader. Why do you think that? Because every time I see a practice video of somebody making a pick, Williams is there. The couple times he it. played in his career in Nebraska, he got a pick or he picked up a fumble. He understands football. He's an opportunist because he's prepared that guy will lead us in turnovers. How does Boodle fit in this? He's played some corner. He's played some safety. He's played some nickel. I mean, he's been all over the place. He's certainly somebody. I think you can put him on anybody. I think he's. A, I think he's like a Swiss Army knife type. Well, it just like it felt like last year, especially the second half of the year, he didn't get thrown to as much. There's a couple of games where he got tested. But they tend to go over to Lamar's side, which, hey, Lamar just played in the NFL last Sunday for the Jets. Yep. So, hey, that guy didn't get drafted, and that already he already proved that wrong. Yep. But 
Boodle was generally the guy that they tried to avoid, it felt like. Mm-hmm. That was just the sense anyway. 100% agree there. Um, and that's the thing. You know, the talent is there. I truly believe it. I don't think we need to wait a year to say that's when we're going to have the talent so that this defense can work. I think the defense can work right now. Sure. There's going to be components and parts of that that we haven't seen work together yet. We all get it. There's going to be players that haven't been on the field at the same time. We get it. They're, we're replacing an entire D-line, and yet I think we can look at the D-line and go, it can get better. Mm-hmm. We had a bad, and I say that in quotation marks, we had a bad defense last year, and there's probably four dudes from that defense playing pros right now. Right. It just has to come together. It has to look like a cohesive defense, something that was meant to play the way it's supposed to play, and, and that means setting the edge, and it means, you know, being physical in the middle. It means inside linebackers like Honus and, and Colin Miller making tackles. It means that you got a back four of a ton of dudes that have experience plus a ton of talented young guys right. behind them. That's what it looks like, and make it work. So, Dave, I have one last question. This came from Twitter, and then I think we can go to the Husk guys and we can talk a little sure. offense and Kool-Aid. But uh, from Husker Power 92 he said, will the D-line rotation be based on situations – and then he kind of had, you know, in parentheses, third down, goal line, playing Iowa versus playing Purdue. Or are they just going to rotate based on snaps? So I guess as it comes to that D-line, we've talked, you know, we've went three deep now with that D-line. Is the rotation of that going to be based on who we're playing in situations? Or is it, you know, just basically going to be, you know, the guys that we have out there, like, you know, who's the best? I mean, how do you think we're going to rotate that D-line? Good question. I think Max probably the better answer here. I'll, I'll start by saying, though, it, somewhat situational-based, but more importantly, I think with this defense is about um, having fresh guys out there, right? So to point about uh, Daniels not having that, being able to play that many sets, we have to be able to rotate at least a, a solid six guys so you're never having these guys fatigued out there. We're practicing against a tempo team. If our offense does what it's supposed to do in practice – it is about never letting defenses get that break, right? But how do you get that break on defense? You have to earn a chance to get the clock to stop. That means an incompletion. It mm-hmm. means a whatever, a sack. Mm-hmm. It means something that prevents the offense from, from staying in that tempo. Who's the most effective unit? Who's the most effective pass rusher? Who's the most effective run stopper? Those answers don't have to be mutually exclusive of each other. That could be the same guy sometimes, you know. You hear it throughout this this coaching staff. You know we're preaching versatility in of position. You know this positionless offensive lineman, linebackers, secondary. I think it's going to be a matter of who's able to get it done when they're on the field at the right time. So you're not being substituted out. So you can be effective the entire time. I don't know. I don't know how the defensive line is going to shake out early in the year. I don't. Man, I just think this is going to be a weird year. Yeah. In terms of that, I don't know that that's going to be like a set line rotation or a set group of guys. I think they're just going to throw the kitchen sink at everybody and see what happens because who knows who's going to get COVID and be gone for, you know, three weeks or, or, mm-hmm. or God forbid a football injury actually happened yeah. and we need to, we need <laughs> yeah. to deal with that. Like, so I guess I always, I always end up with, I feel like the coaches will put the best guys out there to do the, to do, do the job and, I don't, especially with defensive line. I have no no reason to question that. I'm like, I haven't seen any like definitive pass rushers or definitive run stoppers on the defensive line yet. So I will assume whoever the coaching staff rolls out there in those positions are the best guys. Until I see differently, I'm not super comfortable saying one way or the other. But that's how I see it. 
All right, welcome back, uh, Mac. Uh, we have a friend of the podcast. We can say that now. Uh, he's back for a second time. F O P. That's right. Is that a thing? I think, well, we made it one. Uh, we have Dave from Husk Guys. His brother Andrew. Uh, he's out like saving the world as a doctor, so he couldn't be here tonight. But uh, we do have Dave from the Husk Guys. So welcome back to the uh, Redcast. What's up, boys? So happy to be here. Like. Uh... You know, I think we call the Husk Guys account the uh, number one hype man for the Huskers, but I also consider myself uh, the number one hype man for the Go Big Redcast. Huge fan of you guys, so thanks for having me on. You have been a huge uh, proponent of ours, and we really appreciate that. We thank all the retweets and everything. I mean, you guys are 18,000 strong there in Husk Guy Nation. Uh, Redcast Nation has a little ways to grow to meet, meet up with you guys, but I'll tell you what. I think Frankly, Husker Nation has a long way to go with the Husk Guys. <laughs> I mean, what you're going to get here for the next 20, 25 minutes, Redcasters, is just unbridled Kool-Aid and optimism, and we are winning the national title, and it's happening this year. That's what's happening right now. This is a feel-good time. This is a, a what-if, best-case scenario kind of show, and I'm thrilled about it. Couldn't have a better guest. Well, Dave, I guess maybe that feel-good starts with the fact that we're playing. Because a month ago, a month and a half ago, we didn't know that this was exactly going to be happening this way. We didn't know if we'd be playing in, in fall or if it was going to be coming in spring. So with that said... You played, I think, your own role on, on, in the Twitter world. We played our role collectively. Uh, everyone played a role in, in making sure the Big Ten knew we uh, wanted to be playing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that here we are, we're going to be kicking off in a couple of weeks? I love it. You know, I, I think it, it all comes back to, you know, the off season is my favorite time of year because you can be whoever you want to be, right? And so you, before you, the first game kicks off and then reality hits pretty hard, uh, right now, you can be really whoever you want to be, which I love. And, and it comes down to, like, the fact is Nebraska saved the season. They saved the Big Ten. They saved Nebraska season. And now they've saved the Pac-12. So I guess that's where a lot of my optimism comes in is when you're riding that kind of positive juju, like, you're saving the season, you're saving college football, you've got, you know, Nebraska football, who's at, you know, the king, we've got the social media backing behind it, which is incredibly exciting. And there's just so much momentum there. You've got players that are bought in with Frost. You've got Frost who's bought in with Moose. You've got support all the way up and down up to Ronnie Green. Like, there's something to be said there about the momentum that has built in the offseason with saving the program, right? Like, I mean, that is true unity that goes from, from us to them to everybody. So it, it was fun to be a part of, right? I think, you know, you and I, like, the, the two of us put together a, a lot of effort to try to save it. But, you know, here we are. So we got football. And what's better than that? Well, one of the things that will get us back to being, I think, a great program again this year is uh, is the offense. Let's start on that side of the ball. Actually, we just got done talking, doing a defensive breakdown, but we want to talk offense here with you. And offense is where we think that this is we can compete with anybody in the country right now. We think we can go out against Ohio State and put up points right away with this offense coming back. So I guess what excites you coming into this season uh, on that side of the ball? And I'll start. I'll give you my, my season preview. And I know you guys brought me on for the Kool-Aid, but I'll, I'll disappoint you to start. Okay. Because I know, you know, so hockey, I know you're at 9-0. and Mac, <laughs> I know you were, you're at 7 wins, right? So, you know, somewhere in the middle. Right now, I don't think we're going to beat Ohio State that first game. Um, but I do think we're going to beat Ohio State the second time. Oh, in, uh, in, in the shot. Title game, right? So, <laughs> so Aiden Line, I'm sitting right between the two of you guys. And it is because of the offense, right? So, I, I, I'm a huge Adrian defender. I was on your show last year, and we talked all about Adrian last year. 
And I started tweeting a lot about this too, where, you know, he is the guy. He had a tough year last year, right? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think he didn't have a lot of great guys to throw to. I think the line struggled. He had high snaps. He had all sorts of things, and it, he didn't get it done. But I guess some of the stuff that I was tweeting recently was, you know, he, as far as a guy who started every game for his freshman and sophomore seasons, so you look back at the history of quarterbacks we've had, Tommy Frazier, Eric Crouch, Scott Frost even, none of those guys have as many yards or touchdowns as he's had. And I don't say that to pat him on the back. I say it more because they didn't have their good seasons until their junior seasons. And so would you rather have a guy that hasn't played a lot in his freshman and sophomore year hoping for a breakout or hoping that breakout comes now? And so I think I'm, you know, I'm bullish on Adrian. I get killed on Twitter for that. We have so many people that are anti-Adrian guys, and I don't get it. But, uh, you know, I'm a huge Adrian guy, and I think it starts there. Um, and then we can work our way through the offense there. But I think that, that to me, I think he's going to be a game changer this year. I think he's going to have a big year. I'm pretty excited for it. I 100% agree with you on Adrian. I feel like the rush to judgment on him was far too quick and way too harsh. And, I, you know, you could walk me through the season and you could point to plays that Adrian didn't make. But I think I could walk you through the season and point to just as many that he was he was done wrong on and didn't have an opportunity to make a great play. Now, at the end of the year, we hear about an injury. You know, maybe he didn't prepare himself as well. But it's so irritating to me as a Husker fan to hear fans rush and say, this guy is a has-been, he's washed up, we got to get Luke in there, as if they know something, as if they've seen Luke play more than we have played. Now, listen, I'm a Husker fan first and foremost, so I root for the team and I want the best guy out there. But I'm not about to sell this kid out. At this point, he's earned the opportunity to prove it this year. And if the road is super tough, I'm like, I understand Ohio State's the first game of the year. So maybe you give him a pass on that. But what if he makes a statement? And frankly, for him to buy himself some time, he kind of has to make a statement in the Ohio State game because nobody's got a shorter leash on the program, aside from maybe a kicker, than Adrian Martinez. Because there's there's so much clamoring for the backup quarterback. And so many people put this narrative out there like, Frost mm-hmm. won't pull Adrian. I don't believe that. And if you use that as an excuse to pound on Adrian, I just don't – it doesn't make sense to me. Martinez, he's the man right now. And if he doesn't come out and perform, if he doesn't do that, there are people behind him now that are going to push him and that can take that job from him. I can tell you right now – just in watching little glimpses of video that they show on Huskers.com and, you know, the practices, he looks lighter on his feet. He looked slow last year. And slow could be yeah. for a number of reasons. It could be the preparation on his side or it could be injuries. And you know what? If we get freshman speed Martinez back with junior experience Martinez, watch it, out. It's funny to me because in what world do you live in that you say, I'd rather replace a third-year starting quarterback with a redshirt freshman in four games. Like, that doesn't make sense, especially if that quarterback was a former four-star, you know, like a highly touted recruit. Like, we should be chomping at the bit to get this guy out here, not trying to find ways to pull him out of the game. Yeah. But I, th- I think on the, you know, the question of what gets me excited, too, I think you've got Adrian, and I think we're finally putting the pieces in place to Frost offense, right? So with, with this extended offseason, I've been watching an obscene amount of film, not of Nebraska, but of all of the old Frost offenses that were actually good, right? So, like, you go back to you go back to Oregon in 2014, you go back to that UCF offense, and you see what this can be. And now we've got Luke back here, too, right? So, mm-hmm. you look back at those offenses, and I was looking at, like, what, you know, what kind of plays are they running? And so, you can clearly see he's trying to find his DeAnthony Thomas. And do we have him in Alante Brown? Do we have him in any of these other talent, like the Marcus Flemings of the world? Like, do you have that speedster? 
I don't know, but we've got a lot of speed that's there on the, on the you know, with freshman class. And then on the big guys, like Traquan Smith, excuse me, who, um, you know, he's a big guy who can go up and get it for UCF. And they had him. He's a thousand yard receiver. He's fantastic. You know, Milton loves throwing to him deep. Now you've got Omar Manning, you've got Xavier Betts. So, like, the pieces are slowly going in place. I think the concern is probably they're young. So that blend of the 6'2 Omar Manning, you can go up and get it with hopefully the speedsters of Alante Brown, you know, like some of the speedsters at mm-hmm. running back. I, I guess I, I feel the pieces coming together. And I just think it'll surprise people. I, I think no one has any idea. There's no spring game. There's no film. They're not releasing anything from practice. You have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm excited for the pieces that are, you know, seemingly coming together. Yeah. I'd rather have a young 6'4 receiver than no 6'4 receivers, right? You know, you <laughs> at least want the bodies on the on the team to begin with. And bodies are important at, at, at times. I mean, we've lacked depth in some positions over the last couple of years, and that's part of a transition. Um, one of the things I really like about the offense right now is Greg Austin moving up to being a run game coordinator. I don't think that's a – when we talked with Sipple back in February, right, as it happened, this was not something that was done just in name. This wasn't a title just to give a guy a raise. He's going to play a major role in helping develop the game plans and also making sure that we're sticking with game plans. I've said this at nauseum last year against Wisconsin, a team you would never predict this. We ran – with Dedrick Mills for 11 yards a carry for 17 carries. And my only question at the end of that is, why didn't he get 30 carries? So moments like that are areas where we can continue to improve. And Austin's talked about that in the last couple of weeks. There's times where you can be okay at a lot of things, or can you just be really good at a couple of things? Wisconsin and Iowa are really good at a couple of things. Can Nebraska get really good at a couple of things? If we can with the talent Nebraska has, watch out. Yeah. I just come, it comes down to, again, referencing those old teams as, you know, whether the defenses are good or not. And I'm excited to hear what you guys uh, say on this podcast on what you're looking at on defense. Those old teams that Frost always coaches out for people. And, and we're not doing that. And it's confusing to me why we're not. You know, and we've had, what, nine different games that we've lost by, like, less than a touchdown, I think is the stat. It shouldn't even come down to the final kick, right? Like, we've had bad kickers. We should be scoring 45, 50 points a game. And if you score 45, 50 points a game, Purdue's not even a close game. Indiana's not a close game. Illinois is not a close game. Northwestern's not a close game. Yep. So that, that to me is like you got to get the offense clicking. you got to get the run game clicking. you got to get the pass game clicking. And once you do, if 45 points a game is going to beat everybody in the, except for, you know, then you got Ohio State, Wisconsin's in the world who you're going to have a battle with. But take care of business, right? So yep. what would Boomer tell us right now? What What is the reason why we didn't score a bunch of points last year? What was the oh. one stat? Red zone offense. We finished like 105th in the country. We could put up an obnoxious amount of yards on literally anyone, but when you got down into that red zone, we couldn't finish the deal. And some of that is personnel. It is nice to have a 6'4 receiver to throw that ball to. Or we would go away from running the ball with a a hammer like Mills at times when we probably should have, and we'd get cute in some cases. That's play calling. That's X's and O's. We get it. That happens. I always bring up the one drive against Wisconsin in the second half where we had over 100 yards. And didn't score. Like, that is inconceivably ridiculous. But we didn't score with over 100 yards in one drive. The way to be dangerous in the red zone is the way you have to be dangerous in between the 20s. And your your tight ends have to play a role. Your running backs have to play a role. Your quarterback has to play a role in the running and passing game. And your, your wide receivers need to create mismatches. But as I say that, and I look at our offense, 
the wide receivers are gotten a lot taller and a lot stronger. Our tight ends are super experienced and a lot bigger. Our running back is established and we've got some young depth yeah. behind him. Our quarterbacks are three deep of the same type of quarterback. It's not Tommy Armstrong to Riker fight. Yep. You know, it, that's not, that's a completely different call, you know? It's so we're running the same offense all the, all the way through and, so everything's in play, but we have to be good at those things. We can't forget about the tight ends in between the 20s. We can't yeah. forget about the running backs in the flat in between the 20s. Dave asked a good question to you last week, and it was about the duck R, or as we call it, the husk R position. We will and, never change. <laughs> and Wandell's your starter at it, but who's the backup? The backup right now is Hickman. Is Hickman. Yeah. And, and he asked yeah. the question, it's like, how can a 6'6", you know, kind of tight end hybrid be your backup to a player like Wondell where they don't seem like the same body types? But I thought you answered it great, Mac. I you, did too. <laughs> you basically said you got two different kind of hybrids, but you could see how on the on the field, two plays in a row, the difference between being in the 20s and now all of a sudden you get into the red zone, maybe all of a sudden Hickman kind of falls into that role. And the whole concept of getting into tempo is to never let defenses rotate players. So if we don't have to rotate our offensive players, but Wandell can go from being a hybrid slot back, and now he's a, now he's in the backfield, yep. and you know Hickman goes from being a tight end on one play, and all of a sudden he's your Huskar on the next one. You can continue to stress a defense personnel wise without ever giving the defense a chance to rotate and get guys on the field to cover it. One of the many infuriating parts of last season was so many of those drives. The Wisconsin one you referenced, the one that kills me is the Purdue one where we intercepted it or down the three yard line and score. I mean, just. I guess you think back to how many unthinkable drives we had last year where you're like, we we're on the three-yard line, or we just had a 75-yard drive, and we we're fantastic, we are good at football. You know, you blow a 17 <laughs> nothing lead to Colorado, you yeah. blow a lead to Purdue, you it's blow a remarkable Indiana, you blow dude. Like, that people keep saying, we were able to steal the feed from the jaws of victory, or whatever that phrase is. Like, <laughs> we found just remarkable ways to lose last year, but I guess that's where it keeps coming back to, like, okay, well, what if we just... Did it right? Like, yeah. and that's kind of what everybody keeps waiting for. Is it's not like we're getting murdered every game. Yeah, like the Ohio State game last year was diabolical. But most every other game, you're just like we're within a touchdown of these games. Yeah. And if we could just finish, it's over. I always come back to Frost is not a career or a lifetime loser. This guy is a career winner, and I'm not talking about just in football. I'm just talking about life. This guy gets it done. He's been successful in everything. Mike Riley, on the other hand, was a career 500 guy. I mean, he really was. People he was are, terrible with the Chargers. People only are, okay with Oregon State. He was, what, with the World League team? The There are people in Winnipeg who hate you right now. Because <laughs> the he, Canadian Football League does not count, and I can't put them in the equation. It'll be a cold day in hell before I recognize 12 players. The, on field, the field is 55 yards wide. <laughs> I can't make sense. I think what has to happen, right, and I think Ohio State, who knows, right, it's the first game of the year. Like, I, I guess what gets me intrigued is that game is the chaos that's already happened, right? Yep, right. LSU's out, Texas is out, Auburn is out, Oklahoma's lost twice. Like, you know, Can you believe that? Can you gone. believe as we're recording this that Oklahoma's lost twice? Unbelievable. Right? Right. You have chaos where these guys who are coming back, you don't know what's going to happen. So you don't know what's going to happen with Ohio State. They lost Chase Young. They lost their entire secondary. They lost 16 guys to the NFL. So you don't know. They still have, I tweeted this like a couple weeks ago, like they have 13 five-stars and 51 four-stars, which is just obscene to me. So they're going to recharge. They're going to reload. That seems high. But the, we got to win, you know, two of those three games, the Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State. You have to build momentum somewhere, and you, you just cannot come out of that mm-hmm. 
losing three or four or whatever nope. people are saying right now. Nope. But I get bullish on it because, you know, like Wisconsin, we, like you said, Auntie, like we played really well. 500 yards of offense, 273 rushing yards, like nine yards per carry. We were a good team last year. So you win that. That's where I think Frost then takes his positive mojo, like you're saying. He all of a sudden instills that, you know, that confidence, that borderline arrogance where like the team says, we can beat Wisconsin, we can beat Penn State, we can beat Illinois, we can beat everybody else mm-hmm. on our schedule. You, you got to win one of those, right? Well, my, my take on it, and we talked about some of the teams right now that have returned from a year ago. Uh, OU and LSU have obviously started off slow. You're talking about teams that have lost a bunch of players, new quarterbacks, right? You look at the teams that have been traditionally good that have quarterbacks back, uh, Clemson, Ohio State with Fields. Uh, Bama does have a new quarterback, but it is Bama, and those, those teams have, have come out strong right away. No matter what happens in the Ohio State game, we got to get through that game, but that game can't define our season. It has to be a, a start oh, to that's it. A fair point. That's and then a fair when point. we come back, we need to start doing what we're supposed to do in the West, and that starts with Wisconsin. I think to that point too. I think what again, what it keeps coming back to exciting me. Like I just think no one has any idea what's going to happen, right? Like you look at this off season, and it's just chaos everywhere, right? So like everyone is all upset. We have to play Ohio State at Ohio State. The stadium's empty. Yeah, right? so that's totally. So that doesn't matter, right? Like that, the stadium's neutral. There's no home field advantage any of these games. Iowa play at Iowa it doesn't matter. Like none of that matters, right? Yep. Every game is going to be terrible weather, right? It's October 23rd all the way through December 17th in Big Ten country. Terrible weather every single game. And then we haven't even talked about is like the COVID chaos, where like your entire starting lineup could get. You could get COVID the week of. Like, I, who knows? Like, there's crazy stuff that's going to happen. You could have a game postponed. You could have all this stuff that's already going on. And so, as you come into the year, I think what makes me laugh so much about people who do their preseason predictions is they look at last year and they're just like, oh, you yeah. know, Wisconsin beat them last year. They're going to be in this year. It's like, well, there's a lot of stuff that happened in the offseason. You don't know where these kids' heads are at. You don't know where, like, yeah. what happened in the offseason. You don't know what happened in the last four weeks. I, I just think when you have Nebraska, who has been wanting to play from day one, yes, and Frost has been saying we are going to play from day one, it puts I think we're at a significant advantage because of that because you're all aligned, everybody's going in the right direction. Hmm. We have so many other teams that just didn't want to play. Like what? Where's that? Yeah, actually, what it makes a really interesting game against Ohio State because I think if there's one, at least one other team in the conference that has the same mindset as us, it was Ohio State throughout this all. But I can tell you. Minnesota, who we do get in week eight, but Minnesota is a team that 30 of 30 said they don't want to play. You know, Northwestern was a team that had been talking about not wanting to play. You know, Purdue's coach was getting credit back in August for creating this great spring schedule that we could play. I mean, football's about preparation. And I don't have any doubt in my mind that Nebraska is going to be as prepared as anybody on the field in the Big Ten this year. I've never had an issue with any of the schedule. I don't care. These are the teams we're going to play. I love it. it I'll go as rose-colored as I can on this one. But people are kidding themselves if they don't think if we just played the cleanest game we have played in three years, no penalties, no turnovers, I think we win that game. We have been hearkening so badly to play football that I feel like this staff is prepared as well as it could to do so. The obvious worst challenge of the year is Ohio State, but dude, a lot of people would have had us 50-50 against Purdue. So sure. it's like, but if you lose Purdue, that's a horrible sign. We can lose to Ohio State and nothing has to be lost. I think we have a legit chance with what we're returning, starting center, and starting guard who was a tackle the year before, and whoever we want to choose yeah. from, Wandell, a starting returning running back. Like, There's a bunch that we could say we could point to and say, this is a good. It depends on what you want to focus on. Somebody can focus on Ohio State destroying us a year ago. That's fine. We can focus on two years ago losing by five and 
They don't have Urban Meyer like they had two years ago. I don't think they upgraded with Coach. Nothing against Day. But I don't think that they're better because they don't have Urban Meyer. Um, there's no that. fans in the stands. There were two years ago. Uh, JD misses the touchdown catch. We have an onside that's the most embarrassing onside I've ever seen two years ago. So there's. it wasn't like we played clean, perfect football two years ago and we lost by five. At the end of the day, we're prepared to play this game. I believe I that we're going to be. I promise you Ohio State would have picked at least four other teams to start their season with other than Nebraska. At least. That's interesting. Yeah, well, you look at you look too. Like I think there's a couple aspects of it too, where you have the first round draft picks they lost. Like you, you don't just lose Chase Young and Arnett and Okuda and like all like their entire secondary and dominance. And just I know they're super deep, but those are big dudes. Like that, yeah. you know, you, you lose an all pro, like you know, a future all pros on the D line as well as like the D backs and safeties. Like they lost a lot of big guys. And, you know, you look across the conference, too, Wisconsin lost Jonathan Taylor, and yeah. now Jack Cohn's out for the season. Yeah. So, Micah Parsons being out of Penn State, like, a lot of those things are, are factoring mm-hmm. in right I'll- now. What I think is interesting, too, when you compare last year to this year, like the last time we were sitting together, no one thinks we're going to win, yeah. right? And I feel like that's good for us. Yes, um, it is. You know, no, one besides, no one besides us on this call, and hopefully all of our listeners who listen to this afterwards. But <laughs> I, I think it's nice for the players. I think there was so much pressure last year because everybody thought we were going to be so good, and then when we weren't good, it just spiraled. Literally, no one thinks we're going to win any games this year. It's like the floor is low. What's the over-under is like three or four right now. I just feel like there's no pressure on the players. And to me, that should just allow you to really like do that no fear of failure that Frost always talks about. Do I love that we're playing Ohio State and Wisconsin and Penn State like right away? Probably not. But I do love the Big Ten slate. I have been outspoken about this. I hate the non-conference games we play. I just think they're lose-lose games. I think you play Central Michigan and you play Cincinnati and you lose those games which we were supposed to play. South Dakota State was yes. the other one, right? Like, <laughs> all three of those are lose-lose games. Cincinnati's at 11 right now. And all three of those, well, all of a sudden you're limping into Ohio State and you're like 2-2 two and two and you screwed up against Central Michigan and all that, like, Obviously, you should step up to the plate and win those. But if you don't, it's just such a lose-lose game. I love, we got eight straight games. They're going to be eight really, really good games. Really good games, too. It's a great conference. It's so much better than the Big 12. It's so much better than the ECC. It's so much better than the Pac-12. Like, all, we're going to have eight awesome football games. And everybody else is also going to exactly. play Exactly. Minnesota's got to play Michigan. Iowa's got to play Michigan. Ohio State's playing a bunch of tough games. Like, I, I think it'll be fun to watch it all unfold. And you're starting to see it across college football already, where like Mike Leach comes out and, and beats LSU and then loses the following week. Like, yeah. it's chaos, and I love it. How much better is the idea of playing really good games every week and not being so terrified of not being undefeated? Maybe you expand the playoff a little bit so you can allow for these great matchups to happen because this is a lot of fun. Like, you're yeah. seeing really good games against really good teams. And so somebody's got to lose. That's yeah. not the worst thing in the world to lose a college football game because you can improve and you can get better. That's what we tell our kids all the time, right? So, like, this is, there's, there's a lot of this that's fun. Like, you can go in this game swinging. There's nothing to hold back. We're not going to go into week two and go, well, this is the week they finally break out the playbook. You know, like, I'm pretty sure they were holding back this reverse pass. No. We're going to see it all. Game one. We're going to see it all. Why not? Well, Dave, this has been awesome. You get the parting shot as our guest. What are you thinking towards the, the season? And where do you see us guys going here, you know, in the next 12, 24 months? Yeah, well, I think we were talking about before, right? Like, if we start winning, when we start winning, this is the year that we start winning, I think we all grow together, right? I I think that's going to be the most fun. I think we've been, you know, what's more authentic than than the three of us who've been in the trenches for the last 10 years grinding it out for when we start winning? Like, people are looking for that voice. When we start winning, which is going to be this year, 
you know, I think we all grow together. It's going to be fun. It's been a, it's been a wild ride with us guys. You know, we've got 18 some thousand followers. It's a riot to interact with everybody. It's a riot to interact with you guys. So, you know, I love Husker Nation no matter what. It'd be fun if we just really started to put together a season. And I'm feeling good for this one. So I, I'm optimistic and hope we can do it. It's Husk Guys, at Husk Guys on Twitter. Follow them. And, uh, you know, look, the Kool-Aid, there's nothing wrong with drinking it right now. This is the perfect time of the year to drink it. And uh, I think this is the season where that Kool-Aid, it's, it's, it's going to... no time to be shy, Husker fans. That Kool-Aid's going to nourish you this year because it's, it's actually, it's real Kool-Aid. This isn't the fake stuff. That, it's not the synthetic Kool-Aid we've been drinking the last couple of years. Yeah, be bold and prosper. It's fine. There you go. <laughs> go Big Red Boys. Hi, man. You've got mail. believe I'm gonna be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. All right, all right, guys. That was a hell of an interview there with the Husk guy. Um, I, that was just the brilliance coming out of uh, Honky and Mac there. Just... <laughs> So let's open up the mailbag because I just can't say anymore, Honk. Well, I appreciate that, Dave. We are on to the mailbag. And thank you to all the Redcasters that sent us mailbag questions. Uh, Justin Bank sent us a two-part question. He says, it feels like we've been recruiting more from within our state, which is great, but we still seem to lose some top-tier recruits. So what do you feel NU needs to do to lock down those high-caliber players? And number two is, do you feel like the sense of pride to play for the Huskers has diminished with our high school athletes due to our win-loss record over the past five years, number of players drafted, our roller coaster of coaches, and all of the above. Mac, I'm going to start with you here. First off, I guess the first part of that question is, do you feel like NU isn't getting its top caliber players, and what do we need to do to make sure that we really, truly secure the border? I guess I just kind of disagree fundamentally with the premise of the question because I don't feel like we've lost out on a ton of premier talent inside the state. Yes, I know we've lost Caden Johnson and Avante Dickerson may or may not go to Minnesota. But outside of those two, I feel like when you look at when Frost came in, Hickman and Henrich were about to go someplace else. Nobody Mm -hmm. said they were in Ulean's. Yep. And we got them. Bryson Williams? Yes, he did go to Wisconsin, but that was late in his recruiting cycle, and Frost and company had just gotten there. They certainly tried to get him, but he went elsewhere. They literally came from their introductory press conference straight across town to try to get him. Did lose a Notre Dame guy last year, right, wide receiver? Um, The other, Xavier Watts. So we did lose him as well. But again, that wasn't a position... Like, Betts was higher ranked. Betts right? was higher ranked and, and more of a fit for offense. He was the taller, more physically imposing of the two mm-hmm. wide receivers, something that we lacked, whereas the other Xavier was the smaller kind of guy that we had had a bunch of. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't I don't think Frost has lost any of the in-state recruiting prowess that, frankly, since maybe Solich was here, we haven't had that kind of presence inside the state. Now, could the in-state kids be less enamored with the program? Certainly that could be true. Mm-hmm. But that's you know just a, a kind of a fleeting moment if we start winning. I just don't think that's going to hold up over time. So Yeah. I mean, I have a little bit of a history perspective of this. We could be in the middle of literally a dynasty back in the 90s, and you can have players like Ty Good or Tim Ritter mm-hmm. that don't choose to come to Nebraska. We offered them. We wanted them. A Lincoln kid, an Omaha kid, and they end up going to Notre Dame. 
Uh, you can go to the late 80s, and there's Junior Bryant that goes, again, to Notre Dame. But it's not all about Notre Dame. Larry Station was an Omaha linebacker, ends up going out to, to Iowa. I mean, it's not that we never lost an in-state kid. I don't ever want to make it sound like that never happened. Gail Sayers was a pretty decent player, too, right? Now, that's going way back. Kansas bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to Mac's point there, I mean, we've gone after players here now, and we've secured the borders. We have made players that would have gone elsewhere. I don't think there's any doubt about this, that we would have lost Hickman and Heinrich. Mm-hmm. And Hickman is a guy that I truly believe would have been at Iowa. I think that, you know, the tight end you that we talked about, I think, why wouldn't you if you're Hickman back in the day, if, if we weren't actively going out after you the way that, that Frost is, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you go over there, right? And in addition to that, it even goes back to the walk-on program. We've had two players from Colorado State now, a linebacker and an offensive lineman, that have given up money. They have given up scholarships to come back and walk on at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to talk about pride, and that's what your question is about, Justin, and I really do appreciate the question because I think it's a good one. And the question of has the pride to play for the Husker Huskers, has it diminished? No, I don't think it has. In fact, I think it's the exact opposite. I think the pride to play here has grown in the last three years because of the guy from Wood River who's leading this program. Yeah, would we get the would we get the top guy from Iowa just over the river to come yeah. here if that wasn't the case? I mean, he's kind of you could he's a metro guy at this point, you know. And we got yeah. him. Certainly, we would lose him two or three years ago to whoever. We we, we don't get five guys from Iowa over the last three years to come here. We don't get the top guys from South Dakota to come here. We don't get the top guy from Kansas. We don't get an offensive lineman like Ben Hart from Minnesota. We don't get those guys because all those guys who were being recruited by Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin would have gone to Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That's where those guys go. In addition to the in-state kids that we have right. been able to keep home. That's the beauty of Frost. Frost has secured as much as he can the borders here. We can't keep every, if Dickerson wants to go up to Minnesota, he's going to go up there and 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 no ill feelings towards him. I mean, right. every no ill feelings towards Ty Good or those those guys back in our day. I mean, I don't everyone has an opportunity to go where they want to go, Dave, but at the end of the day, Frost is making sure that these these guys know they're wanted here. A lot of scarlet-colored glasses right there. So I'll ask the opposing view from from Boomer, I guess. Um, in the sense, and I think maybe it's longer than five years, but I mean, and maybe broader than just players being recruited here. But like, obviously, because of um, probably some lesser seasons by the Huskers, right? Four and eight, fives and sevens will will wear on you, and then you know, not winning uh, at a national level for almost two decades, you do have football fans in Nebraska, kids growing up that have looked at Oregon or even UCF or Oklahoma or anything as an alternative to rooting closely to, you know, rooting for Nebraska uh, because of the lack of of performance on the field. So, I mean, do you feel any difference in these guys? You know, I I agree with them generally. I think Frost has done a great job of getting that excitement back, building those relationships back with high school coaches, getting these players back onto the team. You know, it's like Max said uh, in previous episodes, you know, winning makes schedules look easier. Winning cures a lot of things. If you start winning again, yeah, you're going to generate excitement. It kind of becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. If for some reason we, you know, don't go to a bowl game outside of this season where everybody gets to a bowl game, Oprah Winfrey style, 
you know, for the next five years, yeah, it's going to hurt recruiting. You're going to lose that interest in it. You know, kids nowadays don't remember Nebraska, Oklahoma being a thing. You know, we're going to play them in a couple of years, but that's, you know, right. that's kind of a memory that's faded. But if you start winning again, you start showing success, you generate excitement. That's going to just become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's going to get people excited in it. And that's what you want to do. So as long as Frost gets this program going the way we think it's going to be going, I don't see any huge reason to worry at this point. The key there is to build on this momentum with actual W's, right? A hundred percent W's. And again, I guess I just go back to the premise of the question. Even without the W's yet, even with the nine wins over the last two years, these kids are coming here. These kids are giving up. You know, chances to go to other programs that have had shown more success at certain positions that they're being recruited at. But the most important thing is that they're getting offered. Okay. I'm more impressed that we have seven Nebraska in state offers this year. And right now we only have four of them. You know, Carney, we think will and we hope will be the fifth. But even if we just get five of the seven, the point is we've offered seven in state kids. We're not slowing things down. No. You're not going to get every single kid but, in the But state. this is the, one of the few of Cluster's kids that got recruited properly by NU. Yes. So, okay, we don't get him, but there, the, you at least can take that off the table as to reasons why. Like, the reasons that nagged at you with Noah Fant was, did we pursue him yeah. properly? You know, or Harrison Phillips. Phillips. Like, we didn't do a good enough job yes. of recruiting him. Okay, if we, if, we get beat, if we get beat, that's fine. But if we don't even compete... Yeah. That's not the Nebraska and, way. That's the opposite of the leadership we had back then versus the leadership we now. And, where we, we we fight tooth and claw to compete. Yeah. In those days, it was just like, well, you don't fit them. And it all goes back to Justin's question about are we worried about players in state not, not having the pride, not wanting to stay here, not wanting to play here? No. I have zero concern about that. I don't have any issues that... Frost hasn't given these guys every reason to want to come. Well, to it, it has nothing to do with the kids either. I'm like, it's not the kids' fault if they don't have pride in our program. Sure, we have to give them a product to be proud of, and if we do, I feel like the floodgates will open on all this stuff. Not yeah. just not just Nebraska kids, but the surrounding states of Iowa, Kansas, Missouri. Well, I think your question leads well into the next question from the mailbag. Well, I think your point there, Mac, leads well into the next question from the mailbag, and this is from Brewmaster Bill. And he said, since my professional teams have basically crapped the bed this season, will sports karma balance out the teeter-totter and reward the Huskers with a great season to rectify the situation? Or do I need to brew high-alcohol content beers to prepare for more disappointment? Dave, you are a big uh, brewery guy here. Are the Huskers going to balance things out? This is the question everyone wants to know. Is it going to balance things out and he's going to be happy at the end of the year? Well, uh I, I was enjoying a well-balanced, fresh-hopped IPA with Red Cast Rob yesterday there you go. at Long Table Brewery, and uh, we were having some Husker talk, and uh, yeah, I would I think he's going to be rewarded. I, I think we will be able to have a very successful, shortened Big Ten season for Husker football. Boomer? Well, I would always encourage uh, Brewmaster Bill to brew high alcohol content beverages whenever possible. Here, here. Um, yeah, I d- did enjoy the Boomer's brown ale. That was a high quality uh, brown ale. I, I enjoyed my bottles of that. My general consensus to the world is, you know, the world is always so dark, so always expect the worst. And But if things <laughs> do go great, hey, you've got a high quality, high alcohol content beer to celebrate. So either way you win, Brewmaster Bill. So go with that approach. 
There you go. Last question we have, and this comes from, uh, I think he won our bowl pick last year, uh, Law, Politics, and Football. There's no one better to ask this question to than Dave. Law, Politics, and Football asked, uh, talk more about the origin of the podcast. This is our show, 150. He goes, explain why you guys have better production than many national pods and tell us about your history. Uh, well, I can definitely give you the origin story. I'll let Honky talk you, uh, talk about the production values, I guess. Um, so as our listeners probably can tell, uh, we've been friends for a long time, right guys? Yep. Um, Boomer, I, I probably met you fourth or fifth grade. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And then Honky, Mac, uh, seventh grade, all in Columbus. Yep. Um, and we've been talking football for almost as long and, I would say 10 plus years ago when I moved out of state down to Texas, Honky and, and Boomer and I really started a email thread initially, which then transitioned to a text thread. And then eventually Mac got brought into that. And uh, these were epic text threads of proportion that should not have been done in uh, 160 <laughs> characters. I'll tell you that. And I would have conversations with folks here. And I, they'd be like, you guys should do a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, but who would produce it? Um, and uh, I think Honky and Boomer, Mac, you might have heard similar things from, from some of your friends back there in Nebraska. Ultimately, I, I was, of all places, Shanghai, China, with my wife. We were visiting uh, one of her best friends. And their, one of their other best friends was also there, whose husband is producer Skip, Um we were in the uh, the French district of, of Shanghai drinking till 3 a.m. And Skip and I are sitting there talking football. This is the day before Thanksgiving, before we play Iowa in Riley's second year. And uh, the game starts at 4.30 a.m. there. So I'm just trying to stay up the entire time. And Skip and I are going back and forth. And I show him these text threads. And, I mean, Honky's typing paragraphs upon paragraphs of stuff <laughs> and he's like this is ridiculous you guys really should just do a podcast and i'm like yeah but who's going to produce it lo and behold skip actually works in um the broadcast industry he's like i could produce that for you and i was like really um so i don't think it took me more than about five minutes after i landed back in the states after being extremely hungover from that night and and a, a difficult Husker loss to uh, propose that exact idea to Honky, who took it another 30 seconds probably to throw it out to Boomer and Mac, and we were off to the races. How funny is it that it was the genesis was during a, a loss to Iowa, too? And like, it's such foreshadowing to True. all the, the torture we were going to have to... It's the bloodbath loss. Some phoenixes yes, start... Is. In ashes, and I feel like that's how this podcast is. We are, the, we are the ashes of the phoenix about to rise. Never the bird prior, but I, this is the year, guys. <laughs> this is the year. I feel really good about this. This is, this is the one, or this is the last one. I can say that too. <laughs> I hope not. All right, guys. Another great conversation. Let's get out of here with some parting shots. I'll start with Honky. Well, uh, one of our favorite followers is Richard Hot Mike Fitzwell, and uh, that can't be 
appropriate. <laughs> but he came up. He he created some photos based off of our last couple of shows. He created these graphics that were. <laughs> I can't even say it. Bob Diaco and PJ Fleck together, but, he, <laughs> but it was Bob Fleck or PJ Diaco, however you want to, however you want to say it. Finkel Einhorn, Finkel Einhorn. <laughs> right, and it was you know it was the, the guy's hair on top of what, a lot of sweater vests. Yeah, yeah. It was sweater vests on top of bald heads. It doesn't matter. Point is, it was hilarious. We thank you very much, Richard Hot Mike Fitzwell. Thanks, Honk. Uh, Boomer. Yeah, just like to give a shout out to the Big Twelve to making this probably the most least interesting uh, Red River shootout in recent memory. Because <laughs> man, those two teams suck, and it'll be entertaining to see who loses this. Where it goes for both those two, both those schools. So, good luck, OU in Texas. Good stuff, Mac. Speaking of sucking, uh, the NBA. Uh, almost unwatchable, <laughs> and anyone who doesn't think that it has declined is insane. I was watching, I was rewatching the Last Dance, and I, it's just amazing to me to watch Jordan go through, you know, the Celtics and then the Bad Boys and then Indiana and finally with the Utah Jazz, and even try to compare him with LeBron James. It's uh, it's not even comparable. Every time he takes a shot, he turns around and looks for a foul in a bubble. I mean, he's Mac, he's six nine, two hundred and what sixty pounds. Mac, yeah. Are you directing this at Redcast Rob? I am not. I'm directing this at every <laughs> at common knowledge. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a it's a worthless product. Sorry. Well, that is a we're not a, we're not an NBA fan, fan podcast, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> strong statement by Mac. Um, maybe one that we could save for another conversation. There you go. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to throw one on really quick here, Honk, um, and actually someone who was a Harlem Globetrotter uh, passed away this weekend, uh, but better known for being the most dominant pitcher of his generation, in my opinion, yeah. and a beloved St. Louis Cardinal, my team, uh, Bob Gibson, an Omaha legend, um, we lost over the weekend, and um, my, my dad's favorite pitcher and just, I've heard stories so much about 1.12 ERA, um, most dominant season, 1968 of all time for a baseball pitcher in, in many ways, um, most dominant world series performances. So just, a um, shout out to, uh, absolute legend of the sport, Bob Gibson and, and his passing this weekend. Absolutely. And then between him and, and Gail Sayers just in the last couple of weeks, North Omaha. Yeah. yeah that's two great all-stars of all time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, let's enjoy another conversation next week. Uh, but for now, let's call that a go big red cast. Good. Give me here.